Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ, and then to be sanctuary to each other, and express sanctuary to this city. And so, for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. It is my honor to, to be here and to uh, open up the word today. Um, I know we've already welcomed guests a little time, but just a special is alert today. Alert, alert, alert. L, L. perfect. <laughs> just want to say uh, we're part. We say we're part of a family. We, we, the church is a family here, but we're also part of a family of churches worldwide, and you're joining us from uh, kind of a sister church, a part of our family of churches in the Netherlands, uh, and so we just thank you for being here, and that's such, that's one of the joys of being a part of this big family, is when we're traveling and when other people are traveling here, we've had the joy to do that when we were visiting in Europe, we went to a little church plant in Paris, so it just felt like family, uh, they welcomed us right in, and I just love that you felt the freedom to come and be with us, also Sarah's parents, thank you for being here. <laughs> So awesome. Thank you for sending the Davises. They've been such a gift to us. Uh, thank you guys for being here. Um, and then just speaking of family also, I just want to thank the, da- the Atkins hosting dinner last Tuesday for us. Billy grilled some chicken. It was amazing. We had a fire night for the guys on Friday night. Loads of you came out. It was just a real good time. I just love doing church as family. Uh, so I invite you to come on Tuesday as well, just to enjoy, um, just to enjoy taco night, should be good. Um, I've been a bachelor all week, so my, my uh, family is coming back tomorrow, I'm looking forward to that. So, um, But uh, w- before we dive in, um, actually, we're gonna, if you're going to turn to John chapter 8, uh, we'll be in the first 11 verses, and I've actually asked Henry... Uh, to come up and speak. If you don't mind grabbing the mic, he's going to read it out of the NIV. It'll be on your screen, or we've got Bibles all over. Uh, feel free to jump uh, on that. And then um, we're going to do what we normally do, which is break into groups and discuss this a little bit. So uh, pay attention, uh, and uh, it'll be on your screen. But we're going to um, discuss what does this say about God? What does this say about man or mankind? Uh, what does it say about people? And so uh, we will... I'll give it over to him. Okay, thanks. Um, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teachers, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone Mm. at her. Again, stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, 
the older ones first until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Mm. Amen. Thanks, Henry. All right, so this should be a good one to discuss. Um, here's the questions, John 8, 1 through 11. What does this passage tell us about God? What does this passage tell us about people? Uh, so if, you're, if this is your first time here, we break into groups of three, fours, five, just where you are. We'll do this for about three, four minutes, and then come back and do some sharing. So go ahead, break out into your groups, and we'll come back in a minute. All right, let's, let's start gathering back together. Yeah, one of the things uh, I did read in, in Commentator, one, one pointed out there was a, a movie adaptation of this, and I guess Jesus was sitting, it says, but he was talking about how they, he grabbed the stone and kind of passed it around, or, and no one grabbed it. And then the movie adaptation, he cast the stone at himself. And I don't, you know, that's an interpretive uh, it's an interpretation of the story, but I think it does get to the heart that the, the only person there that didn't have sin would go to the cross and take on sin himself and support the story of the gospel. Um, so I, we're in a series uh, called On This Rock, How Jesus Build His Church, Builds His Church. And we're really exploring some of the values that, um, that Jesus wants to build his church on. And we want to be a place where when Jesus is present, the Holy Spirit is present, and he comes, it's like, ooh, I like that. I like that. I like that culture. I like that flavor. I like that atmosphere. And I can build something here. And he says he's going to build his church. We just want to be a place where the Holy Spirit is like, yeah, I like that. Um, and uh, today I want to talk about cultivating a community of honor amidst a culture of contempt. And I think this story is a good character study, a case study, something we can sink our teeth into. Um, I apologize in advance for the Brits in the room. Uh, I did not put the U in honor. <laughs> so I want to honor you by, I want to honor you by acknowledging it, but on, not honor you enough by actually changing my actions. Um, I also want to give some credit here, uh, some sources that I've used in this talk, and you could go on and read more. Danny Silk has a book called Culture of Honor. Uh, John Tyson, in his book, Beautiful Resistance, has a chapter on honor. And John Mark Comer has a great sermon on this where he's really stealing from Danny Silk and John Tyson, and so I'm going to steal from all of them uh, on this. Um, but, uh, but, but as I jump in, do you guys, I may have already given it away, do you know what the number one attitude uh, present in a relationship that will determine whether or not that relationship, a marriage relationship, will end in divorce. What, what is the number one attitude? Yeah, it's contempt. It's not bitterness. It's not um, frustration or anger. It's not a recklessness of money. It actually is contempt. Um, there's a psychologist, John Gottman, has famously been able to predict with 94% accuracy, if he's just shown a clip of a conversation, I think it's only 30 seconds, could be wrong, uh, if that marriage will still be a marriage in five years, or if it will be a divorce. Um, it's documented well in Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, if you want to read about it. But the crazy thing is, he actually also was able to link contempt with your likeliness to be sick. The more contemptuous you are, the more likely 
you are to actually be physically ill, which shares a little bit, shows a little bit about how we're integrated human beings, m- mind, body, and uh, soul. Um, so I want to talk about honor. Uh, it seems old-fashioned to talk about honor, maybe even quaint, or maybe as I bring up the topic of, oh, the pastor's talking about honor, we're going to have a love offering, I'm going to get a Bentley. Uh, that's not, <laughs> you know, some of those things happen in our culture when we talk about um, honor. But actually, I think it's, it's something that really deserves to be talked about and fleshed out in our culture. 80% of the world lives in an honor-shame culture. We do not. Um, and I think we miss actually a lot of the Bible when the epistles especially written when we don't look it up about on that frame. I was, um, had the privilege to talk to a, a, a pastor from India actually overseeing a team of churches or a whole family of churches, over 300 churches in India and outside of India. And I was just talking casually. He had no idea that I was speaking this week or what the topic was on, um, but he was just um, sharing a few things. And one of the things he said was actually... Um, Americans get a lot right, but one thing that you guys get really wrong is a lack of honor. You guys don't have honor in the church. Um, There's something that we miss. We have an honor deficit, and yet it is central, I believe, to the scriptures. And I'm going to contrast honor, not with dishonor, uh, though I think maybe a, a word that gets a little more at it is contempt. And how many of you know that we live in a time defined by contempt? Exhibit A, go through Twitter. Dare you to go through Twitter, look at some of the comments. Man, oh man, and try not to bury your head in the sand, right? I mean, so much condescension, so much vitriol, so much anger at each other. We see this in politics. I don't have to tell you, but just some crazy statistics. After the 2016 election, one in six Americans reported that they stopped talking to a family member or a very close friend as a result of who they voted for. In the last election, right after the last election, they polled uh, voters. 80% of Biden voters and 84% of Trump voters said that the opposing party poses, quote, a clear and present threat to America. So we've got 84% of one camp, 80% of another camp looking at the other and saying, you are a threat to our very existence or way of life here. And yet, 93% probably maybe of people uh, in another poll, maybe not uh, surprisingly, uh, said they are so deeply tired (laughs) of how divided we are. Um, In response to these trends, uh, a columnist for the New York Times, Arthur Brooks, recently wrote that, quote, America is developing a culture of contempt, a habit of seeing people who disagree with us, not merely as incorrect or misguided, but this is the key, as worthless. Interesting word choice. Worthless. There's another uh, philosopher, actually a philosopher, Robert C. Solomon. He was trying to place this word contempt, and if you've done any work on emotions, I've had to do a lot of work on emotions, uh, just learning that I'm an emotional being, what emotions are. Um, But, uh, you know, I have this graph in my journal of, like, the emotions chart, just to try to even, like, train myself. What am I feeling today? And if you've done any of that work, you know that they're grouped in different kind of families of emotion. A lot of people would say there's six primary emotions. And Robert Solomon was trying to figure out, where does contempt fall? Where do we put contempt in this chart? And he put it under the, um, the, you know, the, the group of anger. 
but he nuances it. He puts it on a, a scale between contempt and resentment. And what he says is resentment is actually anger directed towards someone you view as superior. It's a higher status person. You resent them. Anger is kind of just anger directed up here. Someone you feel is, is appear to you, the same status. But contempt, that's when you look down at someone. You direct anger towards someone you view as inferior or lower than you. Another philosopher defines contempt as the unsullied conviction of the worthlessness of another. Simply put, I'm better than you. You are lesser than me. You're not worthy of my compassion or my empathy. I'm going to preserve those resources for people that I feel are in my tribe, that I agree with, that I'm righteous with. We can be self-righteous. I'm going to reserve those from you, allocate those emotional resources elsewhere. And this can be subtle. How many of you know that? It can be a slight sneer. It can be a raised eyebrow. It can be a tilt of the neck, a burrowed look. I mean, even preparing for this, I've had to examine my heart. Uh, A few weeks ago, we took a family vacation, and we went to Disneyland, the happiest place on (laughs) earth. And I, you know, I'm a planner, so I, like, wanted to make sure we got the most out of our money. You may have had this experience, too. All right, we got to get there at a certain time. We got a rope drop. I had, like, this plan of, you know, Josie and I did Space Mountain first, us in 10 minutes. It was amazing, and we're going to go to this ride and this ride and this ride. We got off, and I had my plan of where we were going to go, and Kelsey had a different idea. (laughs) She saw the the cars where you can kind of drive yourself, and... She really wanted to go there. There was no line there. But, but if we do that, we're going to miss X, Y, and Z. And I just found myself almost for the whole morning, like that caused a fight right there in Disneyland because my plans got interrupted because she wanted to do it. Later on, I learned that she had this, you know, great memory with her dad doing this, and she wanted that for me and the kids. But I didn't stop to actually consider her, and I found myself seething, to be honest, in the happiest place on earth. <laughs> Because my plans were ruined. I was smarter. I had done the work. How dare she interrupt and um, have a different idea of what we would do. I was on a sales call this week, and uh, the prospect was like the final pitch, and it just turned. It went, a really, it went really bad. And this person started being rude and accusatory, and in my head, I just started denigrating this person. They're so dumb. They don't get this. They don't understand what we do. We, and I just caught myself. There it is. Contempt. The problem with contempt, it can also be infectious. Jonathan Haidt said, Scandal is great entertainment because it allows people to feel contempt, a moral emotion that gives feelings of moral superiority while asking nothing in return. With contempt, you don't need to right the wrong, like with anger and justice, or flee the scene with fear or disgust. And best of all, Contempt is meant to share. Stories about moral failings of others are among the most common kinds of gossip. They are a stable talk of talk radio, or stable of talk radio, and they offer a ready way for people to show they share a common moral orientation. Tell an acquaintance a cynical story that ends with both of you smirking and shaking your heads, and voila, you've got a bond. Now, we can all recognize this culture of contempt out there, What happens when that gets imported into the church? 
a place where we're supposed to be marked by love and grace. And we look at people with other preferences. We look at people with maybe sharing different secondary doctrines. And it's not just difference. We begin fighting and demeaning. We begin gaslighting. I mean, I think much of the American church could be, (laughs) you know, people look in and say, man, that's a culture of contempt. There's no distinction we see from the world. And yet, I think honor is a potent cure for this disease of contempt. And I think Jesus wants his church to be a place of honor, what is remarkably different from the church, this way that Jesus looked and saw this woman being treated with contempt. And I want to encourage us to take hold of honor. Uh, So honor is all through scripture. It's from the Greek word tomeo. It means to assign value or to prize, to regard or treat someone with admiration and respect, to give special recognition to. It's where we get the word honorarium from, which I think is actually a really good example. Honorarium, someone comes and, and, and maybe they speak for us or they do something for us, and we give them a gift, which is in keeping with the value of what they gave to us. And that's honor. So we're actually recognizing someone's value, and we're, we're recognizing it and giving that value um, over. Some examples, uh, birthday celebrations in our culture, we're recognizing just a special honor of being you, celebrating birthdays. I think one of the greatest examples of honor that I can think of in the last few years, do you remember in the early days of the pandemic, um, at 7 p.m. in New York, and some, around here, uh, uh, some places, but all around the world, it started catching on. Everyone would open their windows of their apartments, grab pots and pans, and, and start banging them to honor the nurses and the frontline workers who were sacrificing for us with this disease that we, at that time we didn't know anything about. That's the idea is we're recognizing the value of someone's contribution and we're expressing that. We're giving them back value. There's a difference between glory and honor in scriptures and it's kind of subtle, it's, they're related, but glory is just inherent. Glory is inherent. God is glorious whether or not you know it or not. It's like the sun doesn't need you to tell the sun that he's great and he's hot. You know, he's just, I am what I am. The glory is, God is glorious, but honor is choosing to express and reflect that glory. So you see the difference there. God is glorious, but we can choose or not whether God is to be honored by us at least. And um, I just want to open scriptures really quickly and, um, and show us just how central honor is to everything in the scripture. I mean, John Tyson says uh, honor is the operating system of the kingdom. I would say it's the, it's the time signature. It's the rhythm. It's like I- anything that we want to do in the kingdom of God should be marked by honor. Our destiny is going to be giving honor. In Revelation 5, it says, this picture of heaven, then I looked up and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads of thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature. How many creatures? 
every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb and be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The trajectory of our lives is one that goes towards honor. That's what we're going to be made for. Um, in Romans 8.18, 8, uh, Paul is writing to the church um, in an honor-shame culture. And I, I mentioned the, the connection between glory and honor. A lot of times when you see glory in our Bible, you can actually replace the word honor depending on the context. But this is one where you can. He said in Romans 8.18, 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory or the honor that will be revealed in us. And he's telling this community in a shame honor culture who has been shamed. Shame has come on their family and them for following this Jesus. And he says, you are, you're shamed now, but the sufferings you're going through will not be anything in comparison with the honor. You're going to be lifted up and given status. That is where we're headed. The origin of our story is honor. In Psalm 8, verse 4 through 5, what is mankind that you are mindful of him? Human beings that you care for them, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. We've been crowned from the very beginning with honor. C.S. Lewis uh, was looking at this verse, and um, part, of, part of this verse is what led him to say this, this famous quote, is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would strongly be tempted to worship. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. We get that. Scripture teaches us that, the, the, that you and I, the person sitting next to you right now, is not just a mere mortal. It's, it's crowned with honor and significance. They're image bearers of God, what would it change if our scripture, our, our Sunday experience, we walked through that door and just had that filter over everyone that we sit with? I remember being with Billy um, at, uh, we went to a Warriors game together, and we were sitting up, you know, really high, and I was looking down, and I was like, that's Jay-Z on the front row. <laughs> Jay-Z's there, yeah. And he was with Blue Ivy, you know. And I was like, oh, yeah, we were all, we were all, like, pointing. That was great. I think interns, you guys went to Hollywood recently, and you saw, who did you see? Jennifer Lopez. You're like, J-Lo's there, J-Lo, right? <laughs> what if we were like, did you see? Dan is sitting in the back row. Dan! <laughs> Do you know Dan's sitting in the back row? It's amazing. I mean, what if that was the, the culture that we had? But that's what it is. We've, we've been crowned with this glorious honor, and we're to recognize that from the very beginning. The person who you're sitting next to right now what a privilege I have to be here with you. Yeah. All creation honors God. Isaiah 43, 20. The wild animals honor me. The jackals and the owls. Have you ever thought about what the jackals and the owls are doing? They're honoring God, apparently. <laughs> All creation honoring God in our prayers. Matthew 6, 9. When Jesus teaches us to pray, what is the first thing he said? This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to honor as holy. I invite any of you to come to a pre-service prayer. We gather at 9.30. It's great. But I guarantee one thing you're going to hear is Sarah open us up at the beginning saying, God, you are so good. You're no one like you. You're so good. Sarah, honoring God. We're to give honor and glory to God. We're to honor God with our wealth. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth. 
the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled with overflowing and your vats will brim with new wine. That's a good promise, right? I want my vats overflowing with new wine. But it's our first fruits. It's recognizing that the wealth we have, the money we have, the resources we have, they're not, it's not ours. It's God's. God gave it to us. And so we honor God by giving him our first fruits. We're to honor God with our bodies. This is a controversial verse today. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. It says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Yeah, it's like you're not your own. Your body's not your own. Honor God. Choose to honor God with your bodies. Many of you know Exodus 20 and the, fir- the Ten Commandments, the only uh, Ten Commandment that comes with a promise. Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. We're to honor our parents. It's repeated in Ephesians 6, 3, where it says, so it will go well with you and you may enjoy a long life. Anyone want a long life? Anyone want it to go well with you? Just honor your parents. I think this goes with our actual parents, our family parents, to the but also even our spiritual parents and our fathers and mothers. Honoring our wives, 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. This would have been countercultural in this day. Husbands, showing honor to your wives. Woman, as the weaker vessel. That's a whole other topic. I think it's actually really beautiful. I won't go into that. It's a whole other sermon. Uh, since they are heirs with you, of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, it says your prayers may be hindered if you don't honor your wife, right? Next time you're in a fight, wives, you could whip that verse out. (laughs) God's not going to hear your prayers, you know. There's something to that, though, right? Honoring our leaders, 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And I just want to pause right here for the whole Shaw family. Uh, Josie, Lily, I think Daisy is in kids. Tom, you guys have, Poppy, you guys have uh, taught us so well. You have led us so well. Thank you. Yes, for what you've like poured into, poured into this thing. And you know, what you've taught us and what you've modeled and what you've, but, but for who you are, for the sacrifices you've made again and again and again for pouring into our kids, for setting up again and again <laughs> and again, for picking up coffee, I mean, just everything, for going at it for five, six hard years. This church says thank you. We honor you for who you are, not just what you've done, but the values you've instilled in us. Thank you. We honor you. Yeah. We're going to do that properly in much greater length, just so you know, in a few weeks. Um, but we do want to say on it, we want to bless and honor you guys for everything you've done. Um, just so that no one else feels left out, Paul says we honor the leaders. He also says we honor those who receive less honor. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 21 through 23, he says that I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. 
The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. So we honor, double honor the leaders, but we also honor the weaker. Do you get the picture? Everyone is to be honored. We're supposed to honor authorities, which is crazy. In Romans 13, 6 through 7, it says, This is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their time, full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. That's challenging. We've got to honor those in authority. By the way, most people think that Nero was governing Rome at the time when this was you know, written. I mean, he tied Christians up to poles and poured wax on them and lit them on fire as candles. And so Paul is saying, somehow we're supposed to honor in that context. I don't think we're exempt from honoring our authorities in our context. Honor the church, honor the family. I could go on and on and on. There's more. Honor the church, honor the, in the family, honor in society, honor in our sexuality, honor in our spirituality. Honor, honor, honor. Honor is the operating system of the kingdom. It's everywhere. And just imagine what a community would be like. What a difference it would be like when people walked into that just in case you missed it, 1 Peter 2, 17. Peter just puts it plan, plainly. Honor everyone. Honor everyone. There we go. Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Actually, in the ESV, it says, outdo one another in honor. So those who are competitive here, Robbie, this one's for you, man. Outdo <laughs> one another in honor. I've played <laughs> trivia with you. I know. <laughs> uh, we're supposed to, like, compete, outdo each other. All right, what does it look like to have a culture of honor instead of a culture of contempt? I just want to leave us with three things. Jo Dr. Joseph Umidi says, value, respect, esteem, regard, worth, and significance all flow out of the refreshing fountain of honor. Yet, what leaks out from the septic tank of dishonor is disgrace, shame, humiliation, scorn, and contempt. One of the most common ways we dishonor is to regard God, disregard God or people, treating another as only part of a blurred landscape of our lives, ordinary, common, unimportant, even taken for granted, is to discount them and their unique purpose. Honor requires celebration and validation, not comfort zone tolerance. I honor you. I don't just tolerate you. Three things that I think uh, mark a culture of honor versus a culture of contempt. First thing, honor opens us up to blessing. There's a principle. Honor opens us up to blessing. If you want access to someone's blessing, honor them. Honor them. Honor gives you access. Danner, Danny Silk says, The principle of honor states that accurately acknowledging people who are, who people, uh, actually, sorry, accurately acknowledging who people are will position us to give them what they deserve and to receive the gift of who they are. We see this, I think, most poignantly in uh, Mark chapter 6. Do you remember the story when Jesus goes to his hometown? His perform he was spoke miraculous, I mean, spoke wonderfully. Everyone was really, really jazzed about what he had to say. They were all excited. Um, where did, and they said, where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable 
mir- remarkable miracles he's performing. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and brother and Joseph, the brother of James, Joseph, Jesus, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense to him. They had contempt on him. And Jesus said a prophet is, I think sadly, he said a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, among his relatives in his own home. And it says he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people and heal them. (laughs) It's a bad day for Jesus, you know, just a few healings. Um, He was amazed at their lack of faith. But I think there's this principle. I think Jesus is like, all right, you know, I'm not wanted here. It's it's your loss, not mine. And uh, I just think, man, I don't want to be a church where Jesus isn't welcomed. John Tyson has this phrase, God comes where he's wanted. Do we want to honor Jesus here? It says in 1 Samuel 2.30, the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Are we a church that wants to receive honor from God? We've got to give honor to him. It positions us to have access to blessing. Will Sanctuary Church be a place where God is honored? I love the worship today, the way you let us so. You're worthy of it all. Yeah. Jesus, you're honored here. We want you to be honored here. Second, honor empowers and releases people. Contempt shrinks and suppresses people. Danny Silk says, when leaders model this kind of honor amongst themselves, then equipping the saints become a matter of extending honor by releasing every individual believer into his or her unique identity and destiny. Each believer comes to understand his or her significance in relationship to the whole body, and the conviction begins begins to take hold. I carry someone no one else carries. I carry something no one else carries. I must develop and release my gifts into the church and the world and do my part in bringing heaven to earth. Honor empowers people. Do you notice people often will rise or fall to the words that you speak over them? Even raising kids, I'm challenged not to speak negativity, or, but to actually speak life over my kids. We've tried to alter the way that we've even spoken. You're, you're a harms. You're a harms. We're supposed to speak identity. This is how we do things. And the harms, you, are, you love your sister, don't you? You love your sister. Yeah, when they're fighting. You don't really mean that. You love people raised to that. I mean, we discipline, but people ra- often raised to the level that you speak over them. Your words have the power to destroy, to eat someone up, or to build them up and empower and fold them and call out that unique thing, the image of God in them. And we see this in Jesus, don't we? He honors people no one else did. He was a one-man force of nature, unleashing honor everywhere. I mean, we studied about the woman caught in adultery. Sinners, no one else would eat them. He invited, he ate with them, whole groups of people, the Sumerians, hated by the Jews. Jesus goes through Samaria and finds the woman at the well and pours out honor. In Jericho, a city filled with elites, what does he do? He goes and finds Zacchaeus. He touches the lepers. The disciples, fishermen, tax collectors, political revolutionaries, a former demoniac, a former prostitute, he calls into a new destiny. He unleashes something in them. And we're sitting here today because he calls something out of them. He honored them. Yeah. 
the church of honor. They went on to a new destiny. Honor sees someone who someone can become, not only where someone has come from. I'm here today partly because a man, a youth pastor, Derek Morgan, sat me down at eighth grade. He had asked me to lead a little devotional at a preschool kind of gathering of, of Christians. And after that, he took me to CeCe's Pizza with all, you know, the buffet of pizzas. And he sat down, a little eighth grade self, and he says, you know what, Tim? I actually see a shepherding gift in you. And I think you should explore that. I think you should cultivate it. Changed everything in my life. He, he, I mean, I was, it was not a good devotional, but he saw <laughs> something in me, and he just said, you should explore that. He called it out of me. I want to be a church where we call out what God has put in us. Finally, honor creates a safe environment for healing. Contempt activates fear and sabotages trust. Denny Silk again says, life flows through honor. Life flows through honor. The clear fruit of establishing a culture of honor is that resurrection life of God begins to flow into people's lives, homes, and communities, bringing healing, restoration, blessing, joy, hope, and wholeness. We all feel our best when we feel safe. Fear activates the amygdala, even brain science, fight or flight mode. We go into running, into freezing, into blaming, into attacking, into becoming defensive. Contempt cuts us down. It makes us feel attacked, filled with shame, feel smaller. We, we try to isolate. We become guarded. But giving honor builds trust. And I think we see that in Jesus so quickly, so quickly. This, this lady, this woman was full of shame. You could just see her cowering there. And Jesus speaks to her as an individual. Gives honor. Chin up. Chin up. That's not who you are. It's not who you are. Go and repent. Go and sin no more. It disarms in a surprising way. It shows people we want the best for them. People will listen to us if they know we trust them. We see them for who they are. And we want the best from them. He says, I know you have great value for me. So I'm willing to listen to you and be challenged and changed if I know that you trust me and that you're for me. It creates environments of people to be healed. That's what the name sanctuary is meant to be. Find sanctuary in Jesus. He is the safe place we can run to. He is the safe place we can find healing. And we're to be sanctuary to each other. Safe places of refuge. Where we can challenge each other. We can speak truth, but people know that we want the best for each other. Honor sees people's whole story, not just that single moment of failure. Tim Keller says this, to be loved, and not and worship team, you can come up at this. Tim Keller says, to be loved, but not known. It's comforting, but superficial. To be known and not loved, that's our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. <laughs> It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness. It fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Yeah. just want to say clearly in this final moments, um, about two things. 
Well, um, I want you to know God honors you. God's created you with honor. He knows who you are. He sees you. Everything you've done, exactly who you are. There's no hiding from him. As Robbie <laughs> mentioned yesterday, last week, we can be truly open with him. He knows us, and yet he loves us. He wants, he wants to call out a future in you. He wants to honor that in you. He knows your sacrifices. He knows your story. He knows your pains. He knows your shortcomings. He knows your strengths. He knows you just as you are. He loves you completely. I just want to invite you, if, if you have never actually said, you know what, I'm going to submit, I'm going to surrender to that love. I'm actually going to follow this Jesus, no matter the costs. This can be the Sunday for you. I would love to pray for you at the end of the service. Just come and find me. You can do it right now. And I also felt just as we were, actually as um, Tom, you were sharing the word, and then Becca, just an image of a tree, a big redwood being struck by lightning, and, uh, and it's splintering in two and shattering. And I felt like God said, the, highlighted the word trust. That word trust, where we, actually where we ended today. Uh, and he, he said, some of you, I'm asking you to step out and actually trust me. There's some big decision. There's something holding you back from actually trusting Jesus. And you're worried that if you do that, a lightning bolt's going to hit you, and you're going to disintegrate in a million pieces, and your life is going to be ruined. <laughs> and I think God is actually saying, no, like, that's not going to happen. The lightning bolt will hit you. My spirit will come, but it's going to strengthen you. And you've seen some of those. If you walked around the, the uh, forest, you've seen some of those big redwoods that actually have kind of a little bit of like dark around them. They have been hit by lightning, but it's actually fortified them, and they're made to withstand that. And actually, it's a part of their story, and it grows and grows and grows. I just felt like God wants to meet you. God wants to come down in power. Just as you were saying, Sarah, God wants to come, and maybe maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's even has to do with the Holy Spirit. Maybe it has to do with something different. There's a big decision point, and you know God is asking you to trust him, and he wants to meet there, and he says, I, you can trust me. You can trust me. I know you. Actually, I want to honor your obedience. I want to honor your commitment to say yes. Can I just pray for us? Yeah, Father, we thank you, Jesus, that you have crowned us with glory and honor, that you see us, Father. I just thank you that you are honorable. You are the great king. You are amazing, Father. And we just ask in your, in your kindness, Father, would you make this place a culture of honor? Would you make sanctuary a culture of honor? Would you make our hearts, would you make this place, my heart, a culture of honor? Would you carry that? Would we see the individual as you see them, Father? Would we see people's stories as you see them, Father? Would you break anything in our heart? Would you search us, Father, anything that is not right, any area of contempt, any area of self-righteousness where we moralize and think we're better than other people? Would you break that down, Father? Yeah, we just pray, Father, in your kindness. Would you show us